Well, this morning, we're going to share the Word of God with you, so welcome to those people who are online, offline, standing on the line. I don't know where you are this morning, but welcome this morning, and uh, let's stir our hearts. Genesis 1 is where we're turning to this morning. We're talking with the attitude, I suppose, we've been talking with over the last couple of weeks. Is your faith strong enough to endure persecution? Is your faith strong enough to endure the negatives of this world that may come against you, that might blindside you, that may sneak up on you, or whatever it is? Is your faith strong enough to be able to do that? And I would title today's message, The Facts Are, But The Truth Is. The Facts Are, But The Truth Is. And I want to just bring out some examples, I suppose, as we template that. Now let's go to the book of Revelation first. So put your finger in Genesis. And go all the way to Revelations. If you hit maps, you've gone too far. All right? The book of Revelations, you just need to put your finger in it just so that you know you've, we're talking about Revelation, the book of Revelation for a moment. What we understand is that we are in a crisis situation or we're in a situation in the world today, whichever way you title it. But I suppose today we want to talk about the elephant in the room, but we don't want to talk about the elephant in the room every week, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So in Genesis, it gives us an outline, as many people look at Genesis and study Genesis, but one of the things that's important when you look at Genesis is to understand the difference of how it is written. Number one, in, in the Hebrew concept, the concept of writing is not linear, okay? What we do in, the, in our mentality is we think it's linear, so we think that this has happened, so this one's going to happen, then that's going to happen, and that's going to happen. And because we're up to here, this is going to happen next. But the Hebrew writing is very different where it's circular. So it writes in a circular way. And so we look at it like that, and people say things like this. You know, people say this, history repeats itself. Well, that's actually the concept of the type of style of writing that people write in, that history does repeat itself and goes around. So all the things literally in the book of the Revelations have already happened in the Roman times. They've happened already. And so we see that. We understand that these things have already happened. However, history can repeat itself. Some of the things that changed history repeating itself or slowed it down or adjusted it was mainly in a, in a way the Protestant reformists who reformed history and reshaped history and slowed these things and diverted things from actually happening in society and happening so quick because sometimes things happen that are ha attached to another thing that's attached to another thing and before long those three things collectively make sense to doing the next thing. And so Christians over the years have been ones who, who've been the radicals who stood up against some of these things or for some other things didn't allow them to come to pass and actually reshaped and reformed history from repeating itself in the way that it was planned to actually do it for evil and not for good. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, I think it's important to capture, I haven't got time this morning anyway to teach you on the book of Revelation any more than that, but it helps us understand, true? That if we think linear like that, we can think, ah, we're you know, headed for a cliff, Rather than if we think circular, we can start to understand that some of the things that are coming up have come up before, and what can we do to adjust that or to slow it down or to, to make it in? That's the title of my message this morning, where the facts are, but the truth is. This might be the most important message you've ever heard in your life. I trust this morning I want to inspire you and encourage you. I want you to be thinking like God more. And I don't want to teach you as much as we have sort of an underlining concept in our college is not teaching children what to think as much as teaching children how to think. 
It's very important to learn how to think. It's very important for a father, Father's Day, to teach that one of the most important things you'll ever teach your children is how to work. How do you work? Because if you can teach your children to work, they'll do very well in life, not by working hard, but working smart as well as working hard. True? Yeah, there's a lot of people work really hard and hurt themselves and they can't work anymore. There's a lot of people that work very smart and done a lot with a little. So it's being able to do both, I suppose. Working hard and smart are not poles apart in that. So we're looking at the book of Revelation. We look at back into Genesis where you've you're got your finger there. It says right there, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. Is that right? In the beginning. I love the Bible how it doesn't sort of take time to sort of justify itself. It just goes, in the beginning, God. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> and it talks about in the beginning, God, uh-huh, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I don't know if you could imagine nothing. (laughs) It's sort of an amazing thing that in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. So number one point is that God is very good at working with nothing and turning it into something. You, You know what I mean? What we think sometimes is the more people we've got on board, in a way, the better it's going to actually be. All we need is God on board. Because <laughs> he can turn nothing into something. I think that's quite amazing when you really think about it. Some of the best things you could ever do when you're starting a business is to start with nothing. To start with nothing. Just get started. <laughs> Just get going. You've got nothing to lose if you start with nothing. And being able to think, God, when I'm about to see a miracle happen, oh, God, but, you know, what about all the facts? What about all the things that are, you know, what about all these things? And God says, all you need is me. All you need is faith. All you need is a miracle to to be expecting a miracle to actually take place in your personal life. And somehow in our Western world, we've developed a a form of Christianity that seems to make sure that we've got all the facts. Because if we've got the facts right, then the right things will actually happen. And here it's sort of saying that all God needed was nothing. Creates the heavens and the earth. And he goes on and he lays down some of the other things that that actually happened is. Let's take a look this morning at Exodus, not far over, Exodus 4. I could bring out, you know, a hundred things this morning, but I'm going to keep it really simple in the time we have. Exodus 4 is talking about one of the greatest leaders of our time, Moses. Uh Uh-huh. And Moses is about to lead people out of slavery that have been in slavery about 600, I think, 600 years. And Moses is leading them out. God's picked him out amongst a whole bunch of other people. And he's going to lead these people out. And just, you know, the process that Moses goes through, if you follow his life, it's just so uh, intense. And here's Moses comes up here when God speaks to him in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh my God, I am not eloquent, neither more before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He's basically, he says, I'm heavy, dull, and I'm not good at talking. Isn't it amazing how we can come up with these things? Moses is saying, I'm not confident. He's got a lot of excuses for his life. I'm not a good speaker. I've never done this before, and I've actually got a speech impediment that I can't actually do it, and I'm very slow in my mind. <laughs> and God goes, yep, 
and you're the guy. <laughs> You've got your list, and God's got my list. He said, God's going, uh, i got one thing, you're the guy. You've got 20 things that you can't do it. God's going, I know which one I'm going with. I'm going with me. <laughs> you're the guy. <laughs> and it's amazing that tr- the, the facts are, but the truth is. In our own personal life, and we've got to be people who, who go on this journey, I suppose, as I said, we, let's talk about the elephant in the room without talking about the elephant in the room each week of, of the challenges we face in life and why we face these challenges, but how do we face them in a godly mentality? The mentality could be, the facts are, but the truth is. Now, we've got to be knowers of truth, just not knowers of, of understanding all those things because we've got to get hold of those things because in the process, I've got to be able to trust God to get myself across that bridge to the other side. Is that true? Away from the facts into the truth. The truth could be, sorry, the facts could be you've got a sickness, you're not well, you've got this, you've got that, you've got this, and you've got a, and we respect the medical profession because they're able to articulate that well. And so what happens when they can articulate well is you can pray into that. Uh-huh. You can pray into that thing. But if your mindset is that the facts are more important than the truth and which one will win that day, then your faith isn't in the right place. Your faith needs to have a confidence that God, i got all the facts, and praise God for the facts, but I know more than I know that I know that I know about the facts is you are a miraculous God, and you're able to do miracles, and you're very quick, and you're very sudden, and you're very real at doing those things. My faith is there. Otherwise, the facts can dull my faith very quickly if I haven't got the right framework in my thinking, uh learning how to think, not just what to think, to know that by his stripes I'm healed. And that's the, that's the best truth I can ever have, so to speak, for that situation. And I keep confessing it out. See, it's not what I say, really. Sometimes it's not what you say. Sorry, it's not what God says, really, that's most important. The most important thing is what do you say about what God says? What do you say about God's? Is there an amen? <laughs> you know? Is there an amen attached to that? That's the word amen. Obviously, everyone knows that, but it means you know, so it shall be. But there's got to be a revelation of the amens in your life. So it shall be. My yeses are yeses, and my noes are noes. I've got that locked in to to my faith confession. There's nothing else that's that's able to do that and to, and to change that on me. Let's take a look at Mark 10 over to the New Testament to a, a wonderful guy who I really uh, have come to appreciate and like in the Bible. Is blind Bartimaeus. Mark 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark 10, around verse 46. You pick up the story here. It's a great story. It says in verse 46, they came out to Jericho. It's Jesus and the crew here. And as he went out of Jericho with the disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timotheus, sat by the side of the road begging. And it's when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Isn't it amazing? I love that, don't you? (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) This is a great example. (laughs) When they heard, when they heard it was Jesus, you know what they did? They yelled. They screamed. They got, God, help me. You know what we do in the church? Jesus, everyone goes quiet. Why is that? Is it right? Huh? 
Because it said, when they heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began, he began, and they began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon my life. And many warned him to be quiet. Be quiet. Shh. Wouldn't be, I don't know, to me, I'm just a Pentecostal maniac, but wouldn't it be terrible, you know, the worship is too loud, stop it. And stop singing so loudly, and don't do this in this church. Wouldn't it be terrible? Be terrible. Don't pray. And then don't pray so loud. And stop. You know, well, how wonderful is it when we say, come on, let's shout. Let's praise. Let's start thanking. Let's be extravagant. I mean, we go to the football and do it. Why can't we do it in church? You know, that's what we say, isn't it? And be, and be loud about that. Many people come to me afterwards. I've preached a message about 50 times. People go, I was just listening, Pastor Stuart, because the points were so good. <laughs> I'm thinking, didn't you get the points 50 times before that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> And he warned him, be quiet. And he, but you know, when they warned him to be quiet, you know what he did? He cried out even louder. What is he? He's a Protestant reformer. He's breaking the mold. He's saying, no, I will not be shut down. I need a miracle. I need my freedom. I need my Jesus to touch my life today. I'm not listening to what you say. I'm listening to what God says. You've got the, you've got the facts, but I've got the truth. I need a miracle. Huh? And I need to be part of a miraculous church that reforms society. The church of Jesus Christ that doesn't see these things, well, it's just going to happen anyway. What are you sitting in the back seat letting someone else drive, letting alone the devil drive? So he stood still and commanded him be called. They called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Isn't it wonderful? Hey. Isn't it amazing how the crowd can flip on you? A few seconds before that, they're going, shut up, shut up. Shut up, don't, don't do that. And then, then they, he starts yelling out and they go, oh, Jesus, you've got Jesus' attention. Oh, please come, you know. Before that, they're trying to toss him out. They flipped. Never go with the crowd. <laughs> and Jesus stood still, commanded to be called. They called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise his coin. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? What a great question Jesus had. Throwing aside his bar- beggar's garment, uh, you know, many translations talk about this differently, but one of the best ones that I've found is that it said this was a beggar's permit that he actually got, like a busking permit, that without this he couldn't actually beg, which meant that his, his uh, livelihood was taken away from him. It was apparently very hard to get these beggar's permits, and what had happened when he threw away this permit is everyone else would grab it. It didn't have like a photo ID on it. Anyone else could actually grab it and start begging with it. So when he threw his permit away, when he threw his garment aside, he's going, there is no turning back here, friend. There's no going back. If I don't get a miracle in my life, I'm done. I'm cooked. It's all over. You know? And I love his, his faith approach, don't you? Don't you love it? Because why? Because his, his, his reasons, his, his uh, uh, facts are that he's blind. I don't know. Do we have anyone here blind today? I think only a blind person who's received their sight would fully understand what I'm preaching about today. Think about it. Your sight is such a precious, precious commodity. When they told me years ago that I was losing my sight and I needed an operation on my eyes, I was devastated. I thought if I lose my sight because uh, of uh, uh, pterygians growing across my things and pulling all my things and twisting all my eyes around, 
I, they said, it's a very painful operation. It's this and that. And I said, I'm prepared to do it because I don't want to lose my sight. It's a gift. Only when you push to those edges sometimes do you realize how valuable life is and, and the gifts that God has actually given you. Is, is that amen? Yeah. <laughs> Unless you want to be sick, I'd say amen to that. And, and he says, and he's throwing aside this. He's blind. He's broke. The guy's got zip. He's got nothing. He's sick. He's, he's not well thought of. He's a beggar. How many people, you know, think well of beggars? Go and get a job. What's wrong with you? And stuff like that. He's dirty. He's dusty. He's homeless. And he's hungry. You put all this in a, in a thing, it's, it's a lot of things. It's, the facts are huge. The truth is only one line wrapped up in one word. Jesus. Jesus. The, the facts are, but the truth is. All he needed was Jesus to come and do a miracle. And he's so persuaded at this point, he goes, I'm going to throw off my beggar's garment. I'm going to throw off my old man. I'm going to throw off all that shame. and I'm going to throw off all the facts because all I've got is the truth. And I don't know about me, but I'm turning into a truth grabber, a kingdom bringer at this point, says blind Bartimaeus. It's all I've got. But I believe the truth that I'm getting hold of far outweighs the list of facts that could be against me. Uh-huh. And you look through the Bible and people say, well, we need a, you know, we need a this and we need a that. You know, oftentimes in Gideon's army, they sent people home because there was too many of them. You know, you think about it. It's amazing, isn't it, when you think about some of these things. And so I look at here when we talk about the church and the state and we look at the challenge of life today. They say that the church and the state need to be separated the only reason they said that in the beginning is so that the, the, the state didn't pollute the church. Not the church pollute the state. That's why they said they needed to be separated. And I love what Martin Luther King uh, uh, said. Martin Luther King Jr. said, The church must be reminded that it is not the master or servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. I love that. Don't you? What a thing. See, the facts are, in people's lives, the, the virus in, in people and people dying. And it's very, very sad. But I think you've got more chance of being hit by lightning. You've got more chance of being bitten by a shark. And you've got more chance of being attacked by a croc. Or you've got more chance of dying in a car accident than you are of catching the virus. The thing that will grip us is not the virus. The thing that will grip people will be the fear of the virus. And so we must be people of faith. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're the people of faith who rise up and be strong. Uh -huh. and, and, but we need to walk it out. We need to be able to do it well. I'm not going to stop walking outside. I'm not going to stop uh, swimming in the ocean. I'm still going to drive my car. But I'm going to do it all unafraid. But I'm going to use wisdom. I'm going to use faith. And I'm going to use love to be able to do it. Wisdom tells me to drive sensibly. Faith is, is a place of prayer. Love is to do what do to others what they would I would hope they'd actually do to me when I'm driving the car. So these things are very very important that you and I could be a person who becomes a reformer to reshape society. How do we do that through kingdom thinking and kingdom action around our personal life to become righteous reformers? To say God, can I bring it back to my original statement as I wrap up this morning? To say, look, revelation is circular. 
We can be Protestant reformers to reform people's thinking. The first place we need to start perhaps is in our thinking. To think, hang on a minute, I need to be a person that God and me is a majority all the time. I don't need to get on Facebook to get 50 people on my side or 500 people on my side. I just need me and God. are a majority. And I might have a list continually, it might be tomorrow, it might be next week, of reasons, facts, that this can't happen, that I can't do this and no one can do that, and all I need is God on my side. I just need one thing, I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus. And so I need to throw aside my beggar's garment. I'm just a beggar, I'm just an unimportant person. No one cares, no one understands, doesn't ever. Yes, of course they do, God does. But if you've got all the facts running through your brain all the time, that's all you'll think. But if you've got the truth going through, what's the truth? The truth will set us free and we know that truth, it'll set us free. What's the truth for your life right now? What's the truth for your situation right now? What's the truth for what you need to do right now? Because you, it, you only need one line of truth and it'll far outweigh the list of facts, if you let it. Anyway, today my time is up. The facts are, but the truth is. I trust this morning you're, you're uh, being inspired, you feel covered. I always believe that God, who, whoever God gathers, He covers. Whoever God gathers, He guards. Feel gathered this morning. I trust I've inspired you. I trust I've got you thinking more about God. And I trust this morning, maybe learning how to think, not so much what to think, but how to think. And I trust this morning our action step is you'd have faith that's strong enough to endure persecution. Uh huh. And I trust over the next couple of weeks we start to work that out together of what that actually looks like. I wouldn't miss a service. Because what I, what I want today, I trust, and what I'm aiming for today is for you in your heart to say, yes, God, all I need is you. I can have all the facts, and there's nothing wrong with the facts. As I said, we can pray into those. But I can't learn to trust the facts. I've got to learn to continually trust God. And sometimes it's, it's a transition in your thinking. I've got to move my thinking. I've got to move over my thinking a little bit and say, God, I'm going to trust you. It's like blind Bartimaeus. Am I trusting thin air? No, I'm trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. This is what I do. This is what I believe. And what I believe will affect the way I live. And so I want to be a believer who does that. We can talk about the facts. We can do that. But I don't trust those facts. I trust Jesus. I trust the truth in my own personal life. And so what's the truth about that? Don't, stand, don't spend three hours telling me about the facts and not tell me the truth. The truth is really important. The truth is really important. I'll use one example as I finished. I had a friend ring up the other day and he said, oh, you're going to wear one of those masks, you know, and stuff like that. He said, I'm never wearing one of those masks. They can find me. They can do this and they can die. They can do all these things to me. And they can, you know, all that stuff. And I said, look, he said, are you going to wear one? And he said, he lived through all the facts. This is where I sort of got this message from the heart of it. All the facts. Then I said, there's one scripture in the Bible, friend, that may help you. What's, what's that? And I don't sort of half believes in that. I said, you care for others, Jesus said, is the measure of your greatness. He goes, oh, I've got to go. <laughs> you know, the facts are, but the truth is, you care for others is a measure. Which, which one are you going to go with? I'm going to throw my beggar's garment aside and grab hold of that 
because that'll set me freer than all the facts will. You with me? Father, we thank you this morning for our dedication in our hearts as a church. Lord, not a crowd, we're a congregation of people. We're an army listed by the King of Kings. And we thank you, Lord, today for your goodness and your grace around our life that we realize the value of the cross working in our life, the value of the resurrection working in our life. We thank you, God, for every good thing you're doing in our hearts. Even though we've got the facts, we won't, you know, just pretend they're not there, but we'll know that the truth is far greater than any facts that I'd have actually have. So help us, we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Miracles. Miracle in women's bodies today. Miracle in men's bodies today, Father. A miracle in their thinking. A miracle, Father, in their understanding. I pray, Lord God, you're in a miracle, God, and this morning's going to be a great day for people's lives. Friend, today, if you're watching all over the world this morning, I just want to speak to you for a moment. Be encouraged in your situation. Be encouraged in your circumstance. But you've got to be, the way of encouragement is you being able to directly divide your life with the word of truth. So the circumstances may be huge, but if you can grab hold of Jesus and throw aside those circumstances, I think you'll be greatly freed and encouraged. The answer that God may give you in that vacuum, in that place of freedom, rather than that place of stress. Help my help. I trust that God would help you miraculously. And send us in an email if you've been greatly encouraged today uh, by the message or being set free, or if you're having children, you never decided. We well, not decided, but. You uh, were surprised at the miracle God did today. Send us an email. Let us know. We want to give testimony on this stage of the prayer that came from this stage. The answer to prayer that came onto this stage would be fantastic to see, wouldn't it? So God bless you. Have a great day and be encouraged.